So in keeping with the theme of last week, I raise again the question, why are you here? The second Sunday of Easter is called by many Low Sunday, for obvious reasons. A lot of people who were here last week are not here today. Why are you here? My spiritual director warned me that when I donned the habit of a brother to watch out what would happen as other people saw me walking around in my habit. So this morning I decided to put that to the test. Ordinarily, either our deacon or our seminarian runs out for the between services coffee. They are out of town this weekend. So I decided to go down to Pete's myself, dressed in my habit. You can see everybody sort of looking out of the corner of these eyes, their eyes, you know. Let's see, where's, where's the exit? You know? <laughs> where's the exit? Can I get out of here in a hurry if he starts proselytizing? Then there was a little boy at the counter who had been in church before, and he turned around and he looked at me for the longest time. And he turned to his dad and said something to his dad, and his dad said, he, he couldn't quite get you out of context here. I said, I understand. And the little boy said, Daddy, he said, do church people drink coffee too? <laughs> and I was sorely tempted to say, child, you have no idea. <laughs> Take it from the mouths of babes, right? Take it from the mouths of five-year-olds and six-year-olds. They ask questions. Questions are what drive faith. Not assertions or certainty. Questions and doubts, even, are the engine of faith. And so every second Sunday of Easter, we encounter this story about Thomas. But then it's not about Thomas, really. But we like Thomas because he is like us. He has questions, and he wants answers to those questions before he will believe. John, the author, uses Thomas as a foil to talk about belief and faith and the journey of discipleship, of being Christian. And Thomas's doubts and questions are in contrast to the faith of the beloved disciple in John's Gospel. If you remember from other times you've heard passages from John, the beloved disciple is the faithful, nameless disciple who throughout the Gospel walks with Jesus and is even the one who takes Jesus' mother into his care at Jesus' request while he is dying on the cross. The beloved disciple also shows up at the empty tomb on Easter morning. And without seeing Jesus, all he sees is the empty tomb. John writes quite simply, he believes. He is the ideal, as it were, of the faithful Christian who believes with scanty evidence, but believes not in sort of an intellectual way, but in a heartfelt way where he continues to follow. Doubts and questions may still be there for him, but at the end of the day, he believes and he continues to follow Jesus unconditionally. 
at the root of his faith, of course, is a deep and abiding love. John leaves him nameless, probably deliberately, so that we might identify with him in our journey of faith. But then, most of us fall short of that ideal, don't we? I certainly do. Fall short all the time. Falling short is also part of the message of today's gospel. Even though we have these ideals put up before us. So you know, take the ideal out of the book of Acts. You know? All the disciples held all property in common. It was all brought and laid at the feet of the apostles. And everything was distributed to everyone according to their need. And you can imagine lots of ink being spilled about this sort of early communist or communal manifesto in scripture, right? Well, in truth, um, this lasts about two chapters, maybe less. Because just a few verses or a few chapters later, they fall into conflict with one another because some members of the disciples start complaining they don't have enough to feed their families or attend to those who are in deeper need. Peter throws up his hands and says, look, I don't have time for this. I'm out on the street proclaiming the gospel. We need to assign some people to take care of this. And of course, the institutional church is born, right? That's the other ideal we have before us. We wrestle with these ideals all the time. We wrestle with the fact that we have doubts and questions. We wrestle as Thomas wrestled. I'm not sure I can believe this until I put my hands in his side and touch the wounds on his hands. Interestingly enough, when Jesus invites him to do that in his second appearance to the apostles in the closed upper room, John doesn't have Thomas actually touching Jesus. It's enough for him to see him. And enough for Jesus to say, I know what's going on inside your head. Here I am. What do you need? And Thomas takes the ultimate leap at that point that no one else in the Gospel of John has taken. He doesn't say Jesus is just the Son of God. He says, my Lord and my God. He sees unequivocally the divinity of Jesus. Which is sort of another lesson, right? Sometimes people who kick against the faith hard are the ones who become the strongest converts. Think about C.S. Lewis. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about someone you might know who kicked and resisted faith for years and suddenly converted and became one of its most outspoken advocates. Thomas is kind of like that, too. But that's still not the center of the gospel. The center of the gospel today is what Jesus says in response to our doubts, to our uncertainty. Much of our lives we spend playing games with ourselves about thinking we know what's going to happen tomorrow, thinking we know about what we're doing tomorrow and what's going to happen to us, and thinking that we have control over that. It's a great game. And it works particularly for those of us in the affluent West 
some of the time. But that's not the truth of our lives, is it? The truth of our lives is we live with uncertainty about what will happen next. What will happen to us? What will happen to the people we love? What will happen to the world we think we know and understand? And that can generate a lot of anxiety. Uncertainty. Doubt, even. And then we look at admiration with the people who don't seem to suffer that. Who believe, like the beloved disciple. Who seem blessed, as Jesus has it in today's Gospel reading. But we forget that the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he comes amongst his followers is, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And to all of our anxieties and our uncertainties and everything that comes with that, frustrations, anger, certainly that's true for me. Jesus says, Peace be with you. Now I ask you, where else do we hear that in the world today? Where else do we hear that message? I can open the newspaper and look for it. I don't see it. I can turn on the TV. I certainly don't see it there. I listen online. I don't hear it. I hear striving. I hear grasps after power and domination. I hear talks of warfare and violence and suffering and angst and wondering and uncertainty and doubt. But nowhere in the world except here, from the words of the risen Christ amongst his followers, do I hear peace be with you. The greatest gift to all of our anxieties about falling short and living uncertain lives are these words, these words of the risen Christ given again and again to his first followers and to us, following him many centuries later. Peace be with you. That is the cornerstone of the message of the second Sunday of Easter. This is what the risen Christ offers us, and not us only, but offers us so that we may share that with others in the world who so desperately need to hear. We talk a lot in our church about mission. We struggle with a church as a whole in decline, and we forget how simple our mission might be Peace be with you. I invite you to hold that, however small it may seem, in your hearts this week and share that with others. And watch for the resurrected life rising up in your midst. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people 
through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.